Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. The title of the sermon today is The Color Picture Book of World History. So, as you know, I've been preaching through Daniel, and I preached through chapter 1 to 6, and now in chapter 7, there's a complete change. Up to this chapter, it was just the story of Daniel, and I'll... Uh, in the second half of the book of Daniel, this is very different from the first half. The first half consists of stories and narratives, and they are some of the best-known stories in the Bible. We have Daniel and his friends refusing the king's food, Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, surviving the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar's insanity and chains of heart, Belsasa's party and the writing on the wall, and Daniel in the lion's den. Can you remember them? There are powerful stories that demonstrate again and again that in the conflict between Babylon and Jerusalem, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, that God is always in charge and always victorious. The first half of the book is relatively easy to understand. I just want to see if my slides work. Um, can you go in my slides? Yeah, there. <clears throat> So there's a, there's a big distinction. But when you enter the second half of the book of Daniel, you enter a completely different world. It is a world of weird and horrific visions with dramatic pictures of beasts and monsters and great destruction. And what are we to make of these visions? Chapter 7 starts with Daniel that says he had this vision and this dream and he saw the sea, and the four winds came up to the sea, and it churned the sea up in massive waves. And out of this churning sea, four beasts came out. And the first beast was like a lion, and it had wings, four wings on its back. And at some point, the four wings got plucked off, and he got raised up to stand on his hind legs, and he got given the heart of a man. The second beast was like a bear that came up and devoured everything. And he, in his teeth, there was just ribs hanging out of what he was devouring. And the third beast was like a leopard. And he also had wings on him. But he had four wings on his back and he had four heads. And then the fourth beast was almost undescribable. And it had ten horns, this fourth beast. And while Daniel was looking at that, there was a little horn coming up that destroyed three of the other horns. And Daniel was standing there in astonishment. And the next moment, they brought out thrones that they placed down. And the Ancient of Days came down and sat in the throne. And these thrones had wheels, but full of fire. And from the throne was a river of fire running out. And this little horn was still talking and talking, and Daniel was looking at him and wondering what's going on. And the next moment, he got destroyed. And the other beasts also got destroyed, but they've given a little bit more leeway. And while Daniel was looking, someone like uh, something of man. Uh, what? 
son of man, came down. And he came to the, to the ancient of days. And the ancient of days gave him the authority on the whole earth and the whole world. And around this throne was 10,000 and 10,000 of people serving God, angels, and another 10,000 by 10,000 by 10,000 people just standing there, watching and looking at God. And God gave all the authority of the whole world to the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, with all the people that was there, was given a kingdom that will reign forever and ever. And then in... Uh, Daniel was going to somebody there, and he asked, what, is, what does all of this mean? And he said, and, and this person explained to Daniel, and he said, the, the first four beasts are the kingdoms, four big kingdoms, and the, the ten horns is ten more kingdoms, and the little horn is a specific kingdom that's going to come, that's going to be very, very powerful. And the horn was waging war against, the, war against the saints and defeating them until the ancient of days come and pronounce judgment and stopped it all. And I'm reading from verse 23. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this, from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three of the kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress the saints and try to change the set times and the law, laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half a time. But the court will cease. And the power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will be worshipped and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. The sermon I'm reading is from Reverend John de Wurg. So if it says it seems to me, I mean it seems to John de Wurg that way. Okay. It seems to me that what we are meant to see in this is the first six chapters, the great conflict between God's people and the pagan world is, unfold, is unfolded. Then in this second six chapters, we are taken, let me just, uh, we are taken behind the scenes and we are given a glimpse of the conflict that stands behind the troubles God's people experience in this world. It is as if the curtains of heaven are just opened up a little bit so that we can see and so that we can understand something of the great conflict between Christ and the powers of darkness. What was the purpose of these visions? So let's look at chapter 7 today. Verse 1. In the first year of Belsassar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. In chapter 7, we go back into the time of Belsassar's reigns. Remember chapter 2? 
Back to the dream Daniel had then. In his dream, Daniel is being shown two things. First, he is shown a panorama of world history. He is given a glimpse into the future. And second, he is given a vision of the person who is in charge of the future. This is the content of Daniel's dream. A picture of the future and a vision of the person who holds the vision in his hands. It is important to realize that Daniel's dream here has the same subject as the dream of Nebuchadnezzar recorded in chapter 2. Remember back to chapter 2? Nebuchadnezzar dreams of a massive statue with uh, four layers, a head of gold, a chest of, and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and legs made of iron and feet made of a mixture of iron and clay. But the most important part of that dream that Belshazzar had was this rock that came loose and destroy it completely and grow and grow and grow until it covered the whole earth. Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream. The statue represents the four great superpowers of the ancient world, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The kingdom of God crush these superpowers and eventually fill the whole earth. Now the dream of Daniel has got the same subject. He gets a a different picture, but the meaning of the dream is the same. It's about the superpowers of the ancient world and how they are eventually crushed and defeated by the kingdom of God. This time, the superpowers are not represented by layers of a statue, but rather by beasts of prey. Even today, the superpowers are represented by beasts of prey, aren't they? We speak of the American eagle, the Russian bear, the British lion, (laughs) and I'm not quite sure what to say about Australia, a kangaroo and an emo, or New Zealand, a kiwi. But leaving that aside, Daniel sees the superpower of the ancient world represented in this way. The first beast was like a lion with a wing with the wing of an eagle. This represents Babylon, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. It was given the heart of a man. This probably refers to Nebuchadnezzar's change of heart towards God after his period of insanity. Thanks to God's intervention, at least Babylon had a bit of a human face. It was not entirely bestial. Not so for the kingdoms that follow. The bear... The second bear was like a bear with a mouthful of bones and dripping blood. This represents the, king of per- the kingdom of Persia, the kingdom of Cyrus and Darius, the kingdom that put Daniel in the lion's den. The first beast looked like a leopard, but it had wings of a bird. This leopard with wings represents Greece, the kingdom of Alexander the Great. The kingdom rose and fell with lightning-like rapidity. Alexander was not yet in his 30s when he was found weeping that there was no more land to conquer. Can you believe that? He died at the age of 33, three years later, as the emperor of the whole known world. And yet Daniel says that even his empire was to rule. Alexander did not rule on his own account. He was given that authority by God. The fourth beast is by far 
the most terrible of all. Daniel can find nothing to compare it to. He can only describe its terrifying destructiveness as it chomps its enemies with iron teeth and tramples and crushes everything that gets in its way. The fourth beast represents the Roman Empire. And then there's ten horns and the future kingdoms. The fourth beast grows ten horns. And the interpreter tells Daniel that these ten horns represent ten more kingdoms. Who are these ten kingdoms that followed the Roman Empire? We don't know the detail, but they represent human rule since the time of the Roman Empire. We are in the time of the ten horns now. What Daniel sees here is the vision is the vision is a panoramic picture of the history of the world from his day on. It's as if he was given a color picture book of the future. What do these kingdoms have in common? They are all human kingdoms. They arise from the great sea, says verse 3. The sea represents humanity. These kingdoms rise from the sea of humanity, and they are all destructive and horrific. One monster after another, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander, Nero, and the Roman, Roman Caesars, Hitler, Stalin, maybe Putin. Human history goes on throwing up such monsters. Where do they come from? From the sea of humanity. They come from the same stock as you and me. They are expressions of human nature, human nature apart from God, leaders who shake their fists at God and seek to break the shackles of God's rule. What stirs them up, these leaders? Verse 2 says it, says it is the action of God, the action of heaven. These kingdoms arise in opposition to heaven. The nearer God comes to us, the more stirred up, the more churned up we become in our sinful human nature. Think of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. When Jesus came, there was an eruption of demonic activity and human opposition to God, the like of which the world has never seen. Jesus brought out the very worst in the human heart. He was God himself come in the flesh, and he stirred up hatred and envy and jealousy and pride, so much so that we crucified him. People like to stay with the sentimental about the baby in the crib, but there is nothing sentimental about Jesus and his coming. He came to establish the kingdom and the natural human heart with his sinful hate nature hated him for it, and killed him for it. You see, these na nations, these kingdoms, these beasts of prey are expressions of the human heart, expressions of our hatred of God, that your heart and my heart, unless God changes them, is also part of that. The kingdoms become more and more destructive. Each successive picture is worse than the, the one before. There is no humanistic utopia about, none. No evolutionary development of the human race from a savage to a noble. Rather, here is the picture of a human race descending to the level of beasts. And then finally, in Daniel's picture book of human history, there arises a little horn that is worst of all, 
The little horn is said in verse 8 to have eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that speaks boastfully. Daniel sees the little horn waging war against God's people and defeating them for, for a time. The little horn is described again in verse 25. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. Who is this little horn? Who sets himself up against God himself? Who even tries to change God's set laws and who oppresses the saints and even defeats them for a time? In the New Testament, he is called the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. From the teaching of Daniel and various passages in the New Testament, it is clear that a time is coming at the end of the present age when it will seem that the people will not be able to stand against the Antichrist. And that, for a little while, he will become stronger and stronger. Jesus teaches us that God cuts these days short for the sake of the elect. Otherwise, they might perish also. There are dark days ahead. It is not clear whether the final Antichrist is a single person or a government that dominates the world or some other structure. But what is clear is that there are dark days ahead for God's people. The little horn, the Antichrist, is still to come, and he will be it will be a culmination of all evil and will get his power from Satan. It is frightening, isn't it? And if this is all we had to say, we could all go home very depressed. But Daniel is shown something else. He is showing in verses 9 and 10, And as I look, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing... And I forgot to put it in my story, huh? Was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were also ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were opened. Then Daniel sees the beast destroyed and its bodies thrown into the blazing fire. And then Daniel sees something else. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people, all nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Imagine how encouraging this vision must have been for Daniel. Daniel dreamed this dream during Belsasar's reign. Nebuchadnezzar is, is already yesterday's man. I think I'm a bit lost now. All of the rulers of the present age rise and fall, but the ancient of day is ruler forever. He is on the throne and nothing conquers him. He is always there and always in charge. Just think how Daniel must have loved this vision. 
We wonder how it is that Daniel was able to be so brave, so stand alone in so many circumstances, refusing to compromise. But Daniel sees thousands upon thousands attending God, ten thousands times ten thousand standing before him. Daniel is not alone. One person on earth together with God is a majority. Who is on the Lord's side? Daniel is. And he knows that he is not alone, but that all glory and power belong to him. The Ancient of Days is on his throne, and his court is in session. The books are opened, and God's enemies are judged. The beast, which represents human kingdoms rebelling against God, is defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. And then Daniel sees something else. Verse 13. There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Another world kingdom is coming. Another king is coming. But this time, it's not another beast or monster. Another kingdom that rails against God and puts itself in the place of God. No, this time it's God's kingdom. Here is the superpower to eclipse all superpowers. And it has a human face. It is represented by one like a son of man, no longer mankind, descended to the level of a beast, but now the true, perfect man. In the gospel, the name son of man is used 84 times to identify Jesus. And nearly every time it is used in the Gospels, it is on the lips of Jesus himself. It was Jesus' favorite way of speaking about himself. He identifies himself as Daniel's son of man. Even at his trial before the Sanhedrin, he identifies himself this way. Caiaphas, the high priest, has been mocking him and asking him to tell who he is. Who are you, Jesus? Come on, Jesus, tell us who you are. Jesus replies, I say to you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. Matthew 26, verse 64 to 66. The high priest and Jesus' enemies are in no doubt at all. By claiming to be the son of Daniel 7, Jesus is claiming to be God himself. He couldn't be clearer, and for that he must die. What is Daniel seeing when he sees one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven and approaching the ancient of days and being given all authority and glory and sovereign power? I believe he is being given a behind-the-scene glimpse of Jesus' ascension. The disciples saw him taken up out of their sight and hidden by a cloud. Daniel sees through the cloud and sees Jesus taken up his reign as the victorious ascended Lord of the universe. He has established the kingdom of God through his death and resurrection. And he now rules with perfect authority. Yes, the little horn is still to come. There are still some very black times ahead for the people of God. The final Antichrist will come. He will rule the world and oppress God's people as never before. 
But Jesus Christ won the victory. He is at the right hand of God, and even the little horn with its power will not be able to prevail against the church. Listen to what will happen to that little horn. In Daniel 7 verse 25, He, the little horn, will speak against the Most High and oppress His saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to Him for a time, times and a half a time. But the court will sit and His power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Surely, these are some of the most amazing words in the Bible, aren't they? Did you hear? Does it say, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms will be handed over to God? No, it doesn't say that. It says, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High, Jesus Christ will be the great ruler in the kingdom of God, and we will rule with him. One day it will happen like this. Daniel gives us a glimpse of the future. Just as the Antichrist seems to be winning and taking charge of everything, Jesus Christ will return on the clouds of heaven. Paul says that, then, that when he comes, he will overthrow the lawless one with the breath of his mouth. The Antichrist, this little horn, will just be blown away, like the great statue of chapter 2, which turned to dust and was just blown away. And all we belong to Jesus will go to be with him and will rule with him forever. Daniel 7 gives us such a magnificent and marvelous panorama of the world history. And do you think of it? Where do you stand in this picture of the future? Jesus Christ will reign and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you ready for that? Are you on the Lord's side? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful picture that you've given to Daniel and the fact that he could write it down and that we could read it centuries later and get this picture for us this color picture book of world history and how it all fits together and where we fit. Lord, will you grant us the grace and the mercy. Let us figure out our place in the world and our relationship with you. I pray that you be with all of us, that you forgive our many sins and just have your hand on us. In Jesus' name, amen.